Episode 114, Carlos Hidalgo, author of The Un-American Dream, Finding Personal and Professional Happiness, Establishing Work-Life Boundaries. Yeah, favorite mistake. I love the name of the podcast. I'm not sure that all my mistakes are my favorites. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For links, show notes, and more, go to markgraven.com slash mistake114. As always, thanks for listening. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the episode, share it with a friend. Thanks. We're joined today by Carlos Hidalgo. He is an author. He is an international and TEDx speaker. He's a marketer, consultant, coach, and advisor. So like many of the guests on our show, he does a lot of things. So I think that's going to lead to a great conversation. Um, Carlos, before I tell the listeners a little bit more about you, let me just say hi and thanks for being here. Mark, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and really appreciate the forthcoming conversation. It's going to be a good one. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, some of the other things that Carlos does, he is the host, I should say co-host with his wife, Suzanne, of a podcast called The Life Design Podcast. And he is author of a book, a really interesting title here. And I, I know we'll talk about that after your story, Carlos. The Un-American Dream, Finding Personal and Professional Happiness, Establishing Work-Life Boundaries. So that's a, a good teaser for it's a, it's a provocative title. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that, Carlos. Yeah, that was by design, but it also stemmed a lot from my life. The book was quite therapeutic to write, and it was also one that was, you know, about as close to an autobiography as I will ever do, because it really was something I lived through and talks about the lessons that I learned. And then Suzanne, my wife, also has a very poignant chapter in the middle that talks about what it's like being on the other side of that workahol, workaholic uh, hustle culture mentality. Mm. So um, that might lead into, we'll find out what your favorite mistake story is. Hopefully this is therapeutic for you as well, Carlos. What would you say, looking back at your career so far, what, what is your favorite mistake? Yeah, favorite mistake. I love the name of the podcast. I'm not sure that all of my mistakes are my favorites, but the one that I think I talk about the most is the mistake that I made was I put my identity and purpose into my profession. And what I mean by that is, that's where I looked to find my identity and find my purpose. I find that very common in entrepreneurs. I also find it even more common in men who are entrepreneurs. When we ask, so who are you? Or tell me about yourself. We instantly go to our jobs, our titles, our professional accomplishments. And when you're the owner of a company, when you start your own company and you do this, your ego becomes so attached and adhered to this business. Well, what happens when business doesn't go well? Which we all have been in business long enough to know that that's going to happen. Uh, It really becomes a roller coaster. And so what you do is you continue to put your foot down on the pedal to go faster, to grow bigger, because those are the things that feed that ego. 
And what I came to realize, and it's one of the things I write about in The Un-American Dream, is it's a sham. And when, like me, you kind of come to the end of yourself, you're really left at that rock bottom moment that you're like, my God, who am I? What am I here for? And it is, it is a rough road back. So when did you, I guess, realize that there was a problem there, that this was a mistake? I mean, you mentioned hitting rock bottom. Is that something that you went through or how did you realize that, um, that this was a mistake? Yeah, it took me a long time. As a matter of fact, if you go to my LinkedIn profile, it's one of the most embarrassing posts I've ever put about it's okay to not have a work-life balance. And I justified why I was, you know, I loved what I did. And I I believe this whole idea of I'm doing this for my family. And it really came to a head at the end of 2015 when through a lot of different circumstances, really poor choices on my part. And really 12 years of neglecting my family and neglecting my marriage to focus on the business. Because even when I was home, uh, mentally, I was gone. I was never connecting in an emotional or mental way at a deep, intimate level. And at the end of 2015, it was here I am. I had lost the passion for my business. I was burned out uh, emotionally, mentally, physically. Uh, also relationally, my wife and I were like roommates and my kids, you know, I would ask about a, uh, an event or I'd ask about something and their response was, oh, so why do you care now? And they were all teenagers at that point. Um, and I don't fault them for that because for them, I had been gone for so much. I had never vested really in them. So for them, it's like, oh, so now you really care about these things. Uh, And then in 2016, my wife and I separated. And that's when I was forced with, what do I really stand for? And it's not my business. It's not how big I can grow my agency or my consulting. It's not how many books I can write about the topic of marketing. And I had to undo all of that. And we separated for nine months. I started to go see a therapist who really helped me see that this was nobody's fault but my own and that what I was living through was actually a consequence of how I'd been living the 12 years prior. And it was a hard pill to swallow. And I remember him saying, if you want to fix you for the benefit of you, then we've got a lot of work to do. If you want to do it so you can just gain everything else back, you and I will be talking again in five years. Mm. So, and I guess what that therapist was saying um, is that you can kind of get to some of the root of the issue or you could superficially put things back together. I guess he was asking you to make the, the, he or she was asking you to make that choice. Absolutely. And it was a great question. I remember when he said it, I wanted to jump over the desk and wring his neck and be like, did you hear anything that I just told you? Uh, my life is a shambles. But it it was. And really what he was inviting me to was, hey, get back to truly who you were created to be. And when we can get to that place, you kind of find out that anything is possible. And if you had told me five years ago that my wife and I would be hosting a podcast together, I would have said, you're out of your mind because we were literally on the doorstep of a divorce. We had we 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 were we had stopped short of finding attorneys. But at that point, you're like, okay, everything I thought I valued 
my business, my profession, my goals, my bank account, that doesn't really matter anymore. And it really forces you. I hope it, it does for anybody listening. I know for me, it forced me to get back to my true self and really start to understand who I was as a person. Yeah. And, you know, looking at some of your career arc and, and maybe you can elaborate a little bit for the listeners, you, you had been a CEO. I mean, there was a lot of success and a lot of different steps in that career path. I could see where you would take a lot of, uh, a lot of pride in that and, and kind of, you know, as you said earlier, build an identity around the job that you're doing and the company that you're doing it with or the company that you're building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I still do look back at my career and some of the things I've been able to accomplish, and I still do take pride in my work. So this this is not a, hey, we shouldn't work hard, we shouldn't take pride in our work. I still take pride in my work, even, even today. And uh, when I write a blog post, or I just finished editing a podcast this morning, and I'm like, I really like the way that turned out. But what I've stopped doing is saying, hey, if I lose this account, or if I win this account, if I work with these brand names, that makes me a somebody. It doesn't matter if I'm leading an agency, if I'm coaching a client, uh, or if I'm you know, unemployed. I am still worthy of love. I am still uh, at my core, you know, Carlos Hidalgo, the person who is sensitive, the person who likes to help people. And that's where I find my identity. And what's been interesting is once I put purpose over profit, the last four years, I would say, have been the most successful in my career. So, yeah, I mean, that's powerful the way you articulate that, that, that framing of, of who you are. And then it seems like that idea of um, being sensitive and helping, helping others connects to work as a coach and, and, and focusing on, on others. And yeah. Uh, absolutely. It also connects to me as a consultant and advisor where I now get to live out my purpose in the work that I do. And how great is that? That's, that's phenomenal. And that's, I talk to a lot of people who, oh, I hate my job or I hate this. And I, and I, I ca- have come to this belief that most times it's not the job we hate. It's the fact that we haven't been able to identify a place to live out our who, what I call the identity, or our why, our purpose in our jobs. And if we can carve out an area of our profession where we get to do that on a day-to-day basis, I'm not going to say it's going to fulfill all eight to 10 hours, but if we can do that, we will start to see our jobs a whole lot differently. Yeah. And, you know, the themes that that you're bringing up, Carlos, or, you know, the, the elements of your story, you know, now that you know, I've, I've done, um, you know, dozens of interviews with different, you know, high achieving uh, professionals. Um, I'm reminded of um, episode 31 with Dr. Greg Jacobson. You know, he's an emergency room physician, mm-hmm. as is his wife. Um, he's the CEO of a, a software company that I've been involved with, with him for 10 years. I mean, he was burning the candle at both ends and then some. And in Greg's episode, in episode 31, I forget if he said the, the word roommates like you did, but it was the same idea. He said his wife had basically passed him a note and said it felt like they were cohabitating instead yeah. of being husband and wife. Um, so you're, you're, you're not alone in that. Greg and his wife were not alone in that. And um, I'm, 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 let me throw it back to you as a question. I mean, does recognition of that, um, 
I mean, it, it's got to put you in a good position to help others. I'm sure you're running into others who are in that same situation. Yeah, I run into a lot, unfortunately, that are in the same situation. And that was really the impetus for me to write the book. When I posted on LinkedIn in 2016 about my departure from the agency that I had co-founded in 05, um, I got a lot of great, nice well wishes on the LinkedIn post. What took me back was the number of calls and texts and emails I got from friends and colleagues in the industry that I'm in saying, hey, can we talk? And they shared with me that, hey, basically, I'm in the same boat. I'm traveling all the time. I'm disconnected. Don't know what's going on in my home. Uh, my marriage does seem like just, you know, we're, we're running on, we're running the operations of our household. And that's where I thought, wow, this is, this is not just me. This is, this is something that we're seeing. And then you add in the toxicity of the hustle culture message that is out there that is promoted by so many. It's no wonder that we're at this place in our society where we're disconnected and feeling unfulfilled in our profession. Mm-hmm. So can you, can you elaborate on that, Carlos? What do you mean by hustle culture? Can you, can you tell us more about that and, and how that ends up being kind of problematic? Yeah, I mean, the hustle culture really talks about is if, you, if you're not willing to go for it and lay everything on the line professionally, you're not going to succeed. Um, and you have guys like Gary Vee and Grant Cardone and Kevin O'Leary, all very successful in their own right. I do not know any of these men, but I read their messages. And then I see people buying into this garbage. Uh, I've got to work 95 hours a week in order to succeed. And I've got to, you know, if, if I'm not up before the sun is up and the grind and, and, and it's this machismo BS Well, if I'm going to work 95 hours a week and there's only 168 in a week, where is my time for my own personal health, which allows me to emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, and relationally, which allows me to bring the best of myself to my relationships. Um, If I'm going to sleep at all, my relationships are getting the leftovers and they're pretty bad leftovers at that. And so success or the hustle culture defines success by what are you going to achieve professionally? How are you going to grow? Are you going to crush your quota? How many zeros are in your bank account? If that's you and your wife or your husband or your significant other's definition of success, then God bless you. Go get it. But if you're not aligned in that, my, my guess is and my, what I realized with my own self Success for me is not defined monetarily. It is defined across a whole other spectrum. And I have designed my life and my business to find that success. Yeah. And so you use that phrase again, um, designing your life. I want to talk about the podcast in a minute. But I, I think of sort of maybe the other end of the spectrum from hustle culture would be, um, you know, Tim Ferriss and the four-hour work week at the other extreme or mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, when I first took interest in entrepreneurship over 20 years ago, I read a book called The E-Myth, which basically I, I, I'm trying to summarize it was, you know, don't don't just um, create a job for yourself that you can never leave. Like too many entrepreneurs start a business where they realize I can't I can't take. Um, yeah, I'm my, I'm my own boss, but I can't ever take vacation again. Right. 
And if we're smart about it, we create a business that allows us to step away, that there's a better business model than busting my ass 95 hours a week, maybe, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think sometimes I talk to entrepreneurs who they really believe I cannot take a vacation. I cannot step away. And my question to them is, why not? It might take some preparation. You may have to let your clients know a month ahead of time, hey, this week I'm out or these days I'm unavailable. You know, I, I take in the summer, I take Fridays off. I want three-day work, uh, three-day weekends during the summer because I'm an outdoorsman. I love being outside. I love the summertime. I let all my clients know that, that on Fridays, I'm not available. Don't text me. Don't call me. Don't check email. And that is a boundary that we have established as part of our business and part of our life. Mm-hmm. And I would think, I mean, gosh, if, if you were an investor in a company or an advising a company, well, you know, startup or a company of any size, if it was that dependent on the CEO, that seems like that would be a huge risk. I mean, I, you know, we, it's a matter of you know, thinking we're that important and maybe that's not true. I mean, Apple has survived um, the loss of Steve Jobs. And I think you know, a, lot of, a lot of people still mourn him and say, well, maybe the company would be better if he was still here. But in a way, it's a wake-up call that uh, life goes on, business goes on, or it needs to. Yes. And that was a lie that I adopted. And I actually have a chapter in the book about the lies we believe is this business would not exist if it wasn't for myself. I have to be there. I have to fly in and see my employees. I have to see the clients. I have to, well, guess what? I left in 2016 and we are now in 2021 and that agency is still running without me. And I'm sure it'll continue to run when the leadership uh, that is there today decides to pass it on And so if you're listening to this, I strongly encourage you to ask yourself the question, why do I firmly believe this? And why do I need to believe it? Because the chances are, it's just not true. Hmm. So let's, let's get back to the idea of um, designing your life or again, you know, your podcast, the life design podcast. Um, I'm happy to hear you and your wife are, are doing that and together. And it sounds like you're, you're doing much better than you had been. What led to the podcast and, and can, can elaborate on, on that theme of uh, life design? Yeah, we started the podcast last year actually under a different name. And then we had a guest, Jeffrey Shaw, and he and I were talking. Uh, and I had just kind of mentioned to him some of the things that Suzanne and I had done. And yes, by the way, I am thrilled to death that we are in a much better place uh, than we were. But afterwards, uh, after we went off air, Jeffrey said, you know, you're really onto something with this whole life design. And he said, I see so many people that allow life to just happen. And that's what I did. I actually fell into this is what I'm supposed to be doing versus this is what I really want to do. And we started to really think through, all right, the life design is onto something. So I started to test it a little bit. And as marketers do, we started to kind of float it out there. And the response was very, very positive. And the whole idea is, uh, first of all, what I realized is we have been doing this for the last three and a half years, four years, talking about what do we want out of life? And then how do we make that happen as a couple, both individually and then together? 
And as we started to use that term, people started to really gravitate towards it. So we changed the name of the podcast starting January 1st of this year. Uh, we'll be pushing episode four tomorrow uh, under the new name. And really, we have just started to put in place some uh, things. And I hesitate to say programs, but when we coach some of the, the foundational elements that we talk to people about of how can you design your life? And to be clear, I shared with you before we started recording, my wife and I are full-time RVers now. That wasn't just a, hey, let's go live full-time in an RV on a Saturday morning and the next weekend we're there. It took some time. And so life design is a continual practice. And so the podcast features those people who are in that practice. Uh, sometimes it's just Suzanne and I talking about different things, but it really encompasses that holistic approach to life that we've adopted. Yeah. Well, that, that really, that resonates me with me um, on a number of levels, um, you know, bringing it back to workplace um, topics, quick detour uh, as, as an engineer with an MBA, I ended up working uh, in healthcare 15 years ago. And when you said, when you asked this question of, are you allowing life to just happen? What I run across a lot in hospitals is that the work has just evolved in a way mm -hmm. it just happened. And right. so I ended up working with people around work design. Like, let's actually step back and design it for once. And we end up being a lot more effective. So that's really challenging me now to think about the parallels um, on the, the life side of the work-life equation. Oh, absolutely. And when we think about work and when we think about life, we tend to separate the two, even though we're one person. And so... I, I encourage people all the time. Hey, if you're in a job that you don't like before you just pull the Jerry Maguire and say, Hey, who's coming with me? Really analyze what is it about that, that you don't like. Um, and I, I encourage everybody to say it starts with getting back to our core person, our identity and who we are. And so many times, especially at young ages, we have people, say something or do something repeatedly or even one time that we adopt this false identity. And then we start trying to live out of that, which means we've skewed our purpose and we fall into these roles that we think we should be living in. When in reality, it's not at all who we were, who we were created to be. Hmm. Wow. Um, so, uh, Carlos, I'd like to talk about the book again, um, the, the title again, The Un-American Dream. Um, what, 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 do you, what does that phrase mean to you? What's the genesis of um, that title and, and the message of the book? Yeah, the message of the book a lot is kind of, again, my story and the story of so many others where we fall prey to this. It's our professions and everything else. And let's try to balance everything else within the context of work. And then the title came from just doing some research uh, when Truslow Adams coined the term the American dream in 1931. He actually talked about the opportunity that should be afforded to everyone to pursue a dream. And as a, fa as a son of an immigrant, my father came over from Cuba in 1960. That really struck a chord with me. And my father has been very successful he has his own business, has owned his own business for as long as I can remember. And so I remember calling him and having that discussion and asking him about what it meant to him. And he didn't at all talk about monetary gain. He didn't talk about, you know, becoming a millionaire or the, you know, 
2.5 kids with three cars and the nice house. Uh, and even in the definition, Truslow Adams says it's not measured by the number of motor cars, obviously dated language being in 1931. And so I started to really do some research and reading into how people, these leadership gurus defined or business leadership gurus, so-called, define success. And all of it from a business perspective was about growth, was about accumulation, was about uh, revenue, was about money in your pocket, crushing quota. And they even went so far as to call it the American dream. And, uh, you know, Ben Carson, the former secretary of, of labor, I believe was his or, role. Um, no, he, uh, HUD, he was housing and urban development. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. HUD. Thank you for that correction. He made a, a statement about everybody needs to, you know, living the American dream and, and equated that to home ownership. And I just started sitting there saying, we have so perverted this definition that we've actually made it quite un-American because America was never founded as the place to go get rich. It wasn't founded as the place to go grow your bank account or grow this company and, and pound your chest and look, tell everybody how great you are. It was a land of opportunity. And so the title kind of hit me of, yeah, this is what we're doing now professionally in our society is quite un-American and it's become the un-American. Cause it, it seems like, um, and, and that's, that's well said, um, you know, it's thought provoking the idea that the American dream can only mean one thing ends up sounding really oppressive. And that's unfortunate. Uh, yeah. I, I and, and I think what I see so many people, that's a very strong word, but I'm glad you used it. It's, it is oppressive. And I see people who are burning out. I see people who, and burnout continues to go on the rise. Our happiness continues to decline. The last time I checked the World Happiness Report, we were almost in the 20s. Yet, economically, yet economically, we're one of the greatest countries in the history of the world yet our happiness declines. And so when I see people who feel like they're slaves to their business, they are slaves to their jobs, they are slaves to climbing the corporate ladder, the word oppression is completely appropriate. And that's part of what Suzanne and I are trying to help people with is say, we can break out of that and you can actually have wild success as long as you're willing and brave enough to define it on your terms and nobody else's. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I mean, oppressive, yeah, that's a strong word, but you, you I mean, so we, we balance that out. You're, you're, uh, the word slave is a strong word there, but there's been a phrase that's been used for a while and some might take issue with it, you know, wage slaves, um, people who are trapped in, you know, having, having to work really hard or work multiple jobs just to get by. But there can be, uh, I think as we've talked, talked about here, similar dynamic with an entrepreneur, a business owner, um, feeling trapped or whatever word we would want to use. Yeah. I spoke to one the other day and I said, so do, are you the owner? And he said, no, nope, it owns me. And I started to chuckle and he didn't yeah. laugh. Right. Right. And I, my thought is, why are you living this life? Why are you allowing your business to dictate how you live? And again, it, I, I'm not saying 
you know, you decide this today and tomorrow your life's going to be completely different. You have to plan, you have to have alignment and agreement. You have to really understand what you want, especially if there's a significant other in play, but it can be done. Yeah. And, you know, you raise, um, you know, I think uh, another thought provoking point of looking to, and I like the way you put it, the so-called gurus that want to tell people how to live their lives. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of, um, this is a quote that's often attributed to Peter Drucker, who would say, I think in a self-effacing way, people call you a guru because they can't spell charlatan. <laughs> Isn't that great? I've not heard that, but I like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm, just pa- I'm just passing that along. Go, go yeah, run don't with shoot that. the messenger, right? Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. But that, 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 that is a great phrase, though. And, and it's something to think about if someone ever calls you uh, an expert or a guru or whatever. <laughs> it's a humbling uh, expression to remember. It, it absolutely is. And, and for me, I'm not going to ever assign that title to myself. I am very clear, especially when we talk about life design, that, hey, I'm still on the journey myself with Suzanne. We talk about everything under the sun. We kind of have a phrase where one of us will say, hey, I'm just spitballing. And we throw something out and see how it lands. And sometimes we immediately dismiss it. And other times we say, you know what, that may be something we want to pursue. But it gives us the freedom to have those conversations where literally sky's the limit. You know, we never, three and a half years ago, when we talked about full-time RV living, at least for a year, uh, we went, started there. Then it was, hey, why don't we just go live in Europe for a year or maybe in Australia and New Zealand and see if we can find some work down there. And we came full circle back to the RV. COVID actually, you know, obviously had a, an impact on that, but it really fostered also within just those conversations, some deep intimacy in our relationship where we really started to say, what do we want? What do we value individually and as a couple? Well, that's really powerful. So, um, Carlos, thank you for um, you know sharing your, your story um, and for sharing your reflections and, and lessons. So I'll encourage people um, to check out the podcast, um, the Life Design Podcast, um, Carlos Hidalgo and his wife, Suzanne. The website, and I'll put links um, in the show notes, is carlosandsuzanne.com, S-U-S-A-N-N-E, carlosandsuzanne.com, all spelled out. Um, Carlos, um, really want to thank you for, for being a guest and being uh, you know so open and, and having such a good discussion today. Mark, thanks for having me. A, a pleasure to be here. And if anybody wants to connect with me, they can do so at the website. But thanks again. And I uh, look forward to uh, talking to you down the road. All right. And uh, happy travels to you. Thank you. Well, thanks again to Carlos for being such a great guest today. To learn more about him and his work and his book and more, go to markgraven.com slash mistake114. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.